Welcome to the Religion and Story podcast. This week's episode is entitled, Churches Looking Backwards and Churches Looking Forward. No matter what congregation you're a part of, all congregations have a tendency to look backwards on what they've done in the past, but also can cast a vision and look forward to what they can do in the future. We're going to talk about how conservative churches and progressive churches can do both of those. So we'll start off the podcast today by talking about how conservative churches can look forward. Daniel, what do you think? Yeah, so I think in order to frame this discussion, it's first helpful to say that uh, progressive or liberal churches um, can have conservative beliefs and conservative churches should be open to um, changing their doctrine. But the the opposite need not always be the case. That progressive churches don't need to change for the sake of change, and conservative churches certainly don't need to stay the same for the sake of staying the same. That they should be open right. to both sides of this conversation. Now, like Michael said, looking specifically at um, how conservative churches can be looking forward. Um, there's a lot of different ways to take this. Uh, maybe y'all might mention some specific doctrines that you think are worth uh, looking into um, for, for conservative churches to potentially change on. Um, but one easy thing to first put out there is that conservative churches need to uh, be looking forward for the uh, logistically for their congregation to be thinking about how can we be uh, increasing um, not only just in numbers and resources, but also uh, regarding the discipleship of our members and our um, those who have partnered in the gospel with us. How can we be getting better? And that general mindset of how can we be getting better doesn't necessarily have to affect your doctrine. Um, conservative churches may be content where they are, uh, with the the beliefs that they have stated, um, but they can continue to have that mindset of how can we bring more people into the fold? How can we show them the gospel? And how can we take the people who are already here in our walls and make them better Christians, not being content to just stay here as we are um, at that status quo? What are What are some other ways that conservative churches can be looking forward. Do y'all have any ideas along that front? As far as conservative churches go, they're very commonly associated with having uh, heavy involvement with their members uh, and being uh, very uh, similar to what you see with the teachers of the law in the New Testament, where they, they know their scripture and they're able to defend their beliefs. However, uh, they sometimes will miss the mark as far as just only following the law for the sake of following the law and missing the purpose of uh, uh, guiding their hearts spiritually. And so that is something that I think a lot of churches uh, that are on the conservative side of the spectrum really need to engage their members to develop more of a heart as far as uh, being charitable and hospitable even if it causes you to go beyond your comfort zone. And the, what I want to specify about this comfort zone is, is if somebody has a doctrine that does not line up with yours to a T, that does not mean that it, it, 
it is a battle that you need to pick for you to separate yourselves. The unity that is being sacrificed for the sake of doctrine is a very, I wouldn't call it a gray line, but it is a line that it is hard to define on what things we need to separate ourselves from where we also need to uh, let unity thrive as a result. And I think we need to examine what is the most effective way to get people who we may not agree with 100% as far as doctrine is concerned, how can we at least maintain a relationship to almost say agree to disagree, let's fellowship, and we can work to mend our differences down the line? Yeah, I want to go ahead and yeah, want to let Michael add something to this as well. But I want to say that I really like that, Stephen. And just to add to your, your first point about the teachers of the law uh, and the Pharisees that Jesus deals with a lot in the Gospels, uh, I mean, Jesus famously says, your righteousness should surpass that of the Pharisees. And a lot of times uh, we forget that when we're having this discussion, is that the, he's, he acknowledges that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are righteous and that they are doing something right. And that comes up a few times in the Gospels where he recognizes there's good things being done here. And we shouldn't forget that. Um, so anyways, I liked the, the point that you made. Other thoughts, Michael? And I'll, I'll echo as well, Stephen, I, I thought you made it a good case for a big tent church. Uh, not that we're meeting under big tents, but that our call for unity is wanting to unify as many people as possible. And the way to do that is to, to first list off the things where we need purity uh, in doctrine. You know, here are the things that we care about, but then leave it there. Uh, don't try to be creative that when a new issue comes up uh, to say, okay, now that there's a new issue, we need to find a new dividing point as well. Say it, we had the issues that we needed purity on, the ones that scripture speaks of, but the new issues that come up, let's, let's allow for innovation. Let's allow for charity in those things so that we can have a big tent church, unity driven church that is at the core of, of who we are really. Is it worth, I'll, I'll also sorry, I didn't ahead. mean to interrupt you. Uh, and I think it may be worth our time to uh, touch on, and, but not spend our whole time touching on maybe some hypotheticals of where doctrine and unity uh, kind of uh, butt heads, and you need to be able to say at, at how much uh, leeway are we going to give as far as uh, doctrine's concerned to allow for the unity. But continue your thought. Sure. So my, my thought is going in a different direction, but we do need to come back to that. Um, do you have something in mind? I, I want us to stay on the point if we're going to talk more about it. Uh, for example, you could say that there is a couple that comes to your church. They're living in sin for whatever the hypothetical sin might be. Maybe it's a, uh, a, a couple that um, are in a relationship that is adulterous or it could be, I don't know, homosexual relationship, something that the Bible clearly says is sinful, do, what do you do as a church to shun them or welcome them uh, in order? Obviously, the end goal, end goal is to minister to them and uh, lead them to Christ and have them repent of what they're doing. Um, 
but it, do you want to address it by saying uh, you guys are living in sin? Obviously, that's not how you uh, you know show up with the, uh, an open hand. Say, let's shake hands, and then that's the first words that come out of your mouth. No, you want to uh, address that. I don't even know how why that would even come up unless you clearly saw that they were a homosexual couple. Anyway, uh, but how, the question is, how do we address um, matters of doctrine or, or our, our guidelines for Christian living are being uh, broken, uh, but we also want to not turn people away at the doors? My quick answer to that is that we want people to come to Jesus, but part of the, the coming to Jesus process is building in them the desire to be a part uh, of Jesus, to be a part of his family, the church, and showing the benefits that come from that. And it might not center around their flaws at the very beginning. You have to get to the flaws in order for them to come to Jesus. But there needs to be a reason for them to want to stay. And so the church needs to be welcoming to sinners, uh, knowing that they can't be a part of the family until they you know, release themselves from sin. You, know, you can't be a part of two families at the same time. But in order to get new family members, we have to be accepting of people that aren't currently with our family. Otherwise, we're just... Uh, you know, maintaining our own members or stealing members from other congregations. We, in order to, to get new people, you have to be willing to see their problems through. Right. And would you say that uh, there's ever a case where you just need to turn a, a blind eye to something that is obviously going on um, in order to maintain the unity? Um, I would usually, I would tend to operate by a rule of thumb that says, Unless the sin is directly impacting negatively your congregation, then yeah. yeah, it's harming your congregation. Then, um, while it should be acknowledged and dealt with as much as you can, there's no reason to kick those people out. Um, for I mean, if someone is just like a uh, they they lie a lot, maybe not to the church, but in their personal life, and people know that for some reason. Um, that person is generally welcomed back in. People recognize that, and they may not be friends with them, but no, uh, I've never heard of anyone being kicked out for that reason. Um, but when people start teaching false doctrines, that gets um, to where it is clearly impacting the church and changing things. I could, I could understand... Uh, even for a conservative church, or just it, most churches that have um, said that they are not accepting of homosexuals, to still allow a homosexual couple to continue to go to church there indefinitely, um, continuously saying, we think this is wrong, we want you to change, uh, but you are welcome to sit in this auditorium and come to these classes as much as you want. Um, you just have to recognize, like Michael said, that we don't think you're a, an actual member of this family. Um, yeah. I, I might have a, a slight disagreement there. Well, first of all, let me clarify that we're not confronting these people and saying that you should, obviously, you don't want to default and say, hit the road, Jack. That shouldn't be your first uh, uh, 
action that you have to somebody that is a new member or uh, has a, a sin that has just become uh, apparent or, or public, if you will. And so uh, specifying that first, obviously we don't want to just show people the door, but I do not think you need to turn a blind eye, even to something as small as um, uh, somebody who is habitually lying. Just let them do their thing and we'll just act like they're not here. That is not what the church is supposed to do. Uh, if somebody has a problem with lying, then Scripture tells us we need to uh, show them the truth. Yeah, Say, hey, definitely. I, you do it in private, uh, but don't allow it to continue. And I, I think that as Christians, we need to make sure that if an adulterous couple uh, is openly uh, shacking up and coming to church, they're living together, uh, and it's apparent that they're sexually active, then I think that it is uh, in our favor to, or, sorry, in the church's best interest to address that as nicely but as truthfully as possible. Uh, that is a very difficult thing to approach somebody and call them out on because it is a societal norm these days. I, I think that we could take a page out of the Catholic Church uh, and, and their way of doing things here. You often hear about uh, priests withholding communion from someone. And I think that that's a, a step that an eldership could take where they say to this, this couple that's living in sin— we do not approve of this. We cannot commune with you as we would a normal uh, believer, a normal member of the family. You are choosing to not be a healthy part of this family, but we're not going to ask you to leave. We're not going to ask you to never come back because the only way that you will turn around is if you continue to hear this message. Now, likely this couple living in sin will not want to be a part of this group that is telling them that they live this way because they're in love with lies, but... And I think you hit the nail on the head. Um, uh, how often do you see uh, elders um, basically uh, taking people aside and uh, addressing whatever issues need to be addressed? Um, usually, if that th sort of thing is going on, it's people that are close to them. But not to say that all uh, elderships uh, don't do this. Uh, I I'm pretty sure that has gone on at my congregation before. But I think overall, it's safe to say that um, there are many uh, churches that have eldership that are not uh, engaging uh, people that need to be shown the truth in that way. Yes, sir. Let me give one other thought on this topic, and then we're going to turn it around a little bit to talk about how conservative churches have a tendency to look backwards. But one more way that conservative churches can look forward is to realize that uh, their doctrine that they might be centered in, they might you know, believe in a, in a conservative interpretation of Scripture, but that doesn't necessarily have to be found in their conservative use of technology or conservative use of institutions. For example, um, there was a time when the PowerPoint was new and progressive, and some conservative churches might have been afraid of using it. Perhaps there are still some, some congregations like that out there. I think that conservative churches should not mix up technology and progressing there with some type of changing doctrine just because other progressive churches are using said technology. 
Uh, so if it's the use of video, uh, the use of social media to, to spread messages uh, amongst the congregation, it, we could, we could uh, hypothesize all sorts of ways that conservative churches could be uh, more up-to-date in the way that they engage with the culture and the way that they engage with their congregation. Um, the way that sermons are preached, you know, it doesn't always have to be the same way there. You, you can be creative in how you do that. Um, we, in fact, we, we have had other podcasts on what do, will sermons look like in the future. I don't think that conservative churches need to be left out of the progress of the institution of, of, of the sermon or in how we communicate with our congregants. And I've always been a big fan of having everyone face each other when they sing rather than everybody facing the front singing towards a screen or a song leader but it's a little change but yeah that that was those are great points about uh just the methodology of worship Uh, another way that i think uh, we can look at conservative churches and how they they look backward and um how that might actually be a good thing sometimes um I uh, am always very fascinated by the the Restoration Movement, the Church of Christ, their um, sort of distant religious cousins, which are Anabaptists, uh, specifically the Amish and Mennonites. And uh, I always, there are clearly, they, they actually do the opposite of what Michael just said, and I think to their detriment, where yeah. they, they are avoiding technology um, or specifically Amish are, um, and I, yeah, I definitely think that that's not smart. Um, but one thing I think that's worth looking at is how these, uh, in most ways, conservative, uh, congregations, these, the conservative branch of Christianity is able to look backward, uh, look, um, at their faith that they have maintained for a long time, and they are able to stand by their convictions. Um, and I, I, I've no, noted this previous times on the podcast that I think that these Anabaptist churches are um, extremely noble, you could say, in how well they are able to uh, hold to their conservative convictions. Um, these, uh, the, the nobility of their ability to do this is always most apparent when it's dealing with pacifism, I think, which is a belief that they, they've traced back for um, multiple hundreds of years at this point. Uh, if you uh, are an easy cry, if you can read something and it bring you to tears, then I both recommend and don't That's recommend. Uh, so, Michael, you might, might enjoy reading, um, or not enjoy, reading The Martyr's Mirror, which is a collection of Um, stories about Anabaptists and specifically how they have been martyred um, because it has been said by many uh, with the exception of our Jewish heritage that the most persecuted group in Christian history is uh, the Anabaptists and specifically because of or in spite of their um, pacifistic beliefs Um, and so there's a lot of horrendous stories where they are um, they choose to maintain their faith and stand by what they think is right. And it ends in a very violent, very gruesome uh, means for them. Uh, A more modern example, I can't really think of it. Maybe y'all can. Uh, The story, the Sandy Hook shooting, is that the elementary school um, 
where the guy pulls the truck in, kills many elementary students, or is that a different? Oh, I, the, so I'm confusing. Sandy Hook was an elementary, but there there was an Amish okay. uh, school. Yeah. Sorry, listeners, I'm confusing two different stories. Sandy Hook is a very different thing. Um, but a story from probably like 2008, 2009, sometime in there, whenever I was in high school, a story about uh, a man going up to a elementary school and killing a lot of these Amish children or Mennonite children. And um, the church was able to quickly, because they knew their beliefs, to forgive that man um, in spite of these this horrendous event. And that's something that I think back to frequently for the, con- the conviction that these people have. And I think that's an excellent way that we can see conservative churches looking backward at their beliefs and be able to stand by those. Stephen, do you have any thoughts on the negative? Just really quickly, yeah. really quickly before you move on. So that is the, the, the Nichols Mines shooting. Yes, yes, yes. And there was a movie made about it called Amish Grace. So, Amish Grace. And it, so it is Amish, not Mennonite. Thank you. Um, but yeah, that, that's something I think is always worth looking back on for Christians of any uh, persuasion. Now, uh, Stephen, do you have thoughts, either positive or negative, about conserved churches and how they look backward? I would say to, uh, not that you were reaming on the uh, Amish and Mennonites, I do think that their uh, avoidance of technology, you, uh, you were correct in identifying similar to what Michael was saying about the PowerPoint. There's absolutely nothing wrong with the PowerPoint versus handing out uh, a handout on a piece of paper that outlines whatever you're going to be talking about. Uh, I would say to their benefit that the Mennonites and Amish, uh, one of the main reasons that they still do that thing and haven't progressed uh, is because they are separating themselves from society in a lot of ways. Uh, they want to be modest in how they dress. They want to not be um, subjecting themselves to temptation that you would see uh, from media and things like that. And those are all good things because you are fleeing from sin uh, in that way. Uh, And a lot of us say that if we're going to change the world, we need to be uh, uh, not of the world, but in it. And to what extent, though, uh, are you causing yourself uh, to go down a slippery slope if you're exposing yourself to things. So, you know, it really, you need to weigh out uh, how much uh, uh, your soul is going to be valued, which obviously it means everything in the, the eternal sense. And you need to make sure that you are not putting yourself in harm's way by exposing yourself. So yeah, the Mennonites and the Amish are um, not to say that they are all perfect because they've never uh, experienced a temptation. No, it's still going to be present for them as well. But uh, I do say that the reason they're so disciplined and uh, constant in their beliefs is because of how they are going about um, the world that they're creating for themselves. When I think about conservative churches looking backwards, I think I have a negative thought come to my mind. And specifically, the thought that comes to my mind is when conservative churches look back on the good that they've done and they rest on that. 
the, the first one that comes to my mind is when you have some outside preacher or someone come up in front of that conservative group and they say, remember when you did this, or you're a church that's known for missions, or you're a church that's known for its great singing. And they, they feel that that's a way to congratulate them, and, and the church takes a pat on the back. Uh, I think that while it's nice to give compliments, especially if you're a guest preacher, you might want to start off by uh, ingratiating the audience to yourself. I think it's somewhat dangerous for congregations to rest on their laurels, to think about the good that they've done in the past, rather than to use that as a catalyst for how they can look forward how they can think about, uh, we've been innovative in doing missions in the past. Uh, we, we saw the, the fields that were ripe for the harvest, but we're not going back looking for a second harvest there. We're looking to go to the next place and the next place and the next place and, and trying to find out how can we serve God's kingdom today. I think the way you know if you're a congregation like this is if you have a, a thriving group of, of adults you know, ages uh, 40 to 55, and no one between the ages of 25 and 35. You know, that if there's a generation missing from your congregation, it's likely that you were really good at one point and you stuck with that way of doing things rather than saying, okay, let's use our innovation from then to look forward to how, we, how can we be innovative now in presenting the gospel anew to a new generation. It, it might not even be as hard as changing the way you present the gospel, but just focusing on a specific age group and making sure that you're giving them the attention they need. Uh, of course, it's that's a broad way of talking about what congregations may or may not do. There could be various reasons for it, but it's, it's what I see. Uh, guys, any closing thoughts on how conservative churches look backwards? Okay. Well, let's go ahead and move on to this idea of progressive churches. Now, by the very word progressive, we think of progressive churches moving forward in the, in the way they do things. But the first thing we want to do is to talk about how progressive churches can look backwards. That could be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. Uh, but Daniel, how do you see progressive churches looking backwards? Uh, well, Michael, you actually gave me a book uh, whew, six years ago, maybe now. Um, called Hipster Christianity. That's back when uh, Hipster <laughs> was uh, just becoming a thing. So um, great book. I recommend to anyone. It's not really about uh, Hipster Christianity as you, as you might imagine it. Um, <laughs> it's really about uh, sort of cataloging the, uh, the growth of what's called the emergent church. Um, the emergent church, if you're not familiar, is uh, really associated with uh, non-denominational congregations, um, and specifically with some of these uh, big-name uh, preachers like Rob Bell, Mark Driscoll, um, and others. And it's this uh, these congregations that are growing with young crowds and um, are sort of uh, bringing back a sort of uh, coolness and vibrance to um, Christianity. Now, uh, that said, so these are sort of by nature what you might call progressive churches. Um, but I remember specifically a chapter in that book where it was talking about how these churches, um, in addition to being what you would call liberal, um, 
They also have a tendency of appreciating church history and of looking uh, backward at church history. Um, in addition, just beyond emergent churches, this has also been a, a measured uh, demographic shift just in Christianity at large of um, people in low church settings moving into high church settings, uh, specifically Anglican and Catholic, making that transition, um, particularly your more um, maybe academic people in those low church settings, because they want that connection to church history. Uh, Christians have felt that they are either um, trapped in the last 70 years of Christianity, um, or in our for our particular fellowship, trapped in that first century of Christianity, and they want to have access to all 2,000 years of Christianity. Just a point of what you were saying, you mentioned Mark Driscoll as one of those leaders. Uh, two of his sons, uh, one of them, he, he has a bunch of kids, but one of them he <laughs> named uh, John Knox Driscoll, and another one he named... Uh, Buddy Calvin Driscoll. So, you know, there's very much an influence of church history, even in the naming of his children. <laughs> uh, that is a, a great uh, example of, yeah, people looking back in that way. So that's all that I, I want to say is for an example of how progressive churches have looked back and they've used that to their benefit, to look back church history and to garner all of the, um, the faith and the uh, the movements in church doctrine and church history and have used that to make themselves wiser and better um, and to connect them to uh, a thousand more uh, fold um, saints throughout our history. What are y'all's thoughts? What are other ways that uh, the progressive churches have looked back either positive or negatively? I, I would say that the common theme with a lot of the progressive churches that are uh, very growth oriented, it comes at the expense of the members involvement uh, at the congregation where the paid ministers are doing the brunt of the work and there's not much uh, service uh, that goes on to individual members or uh, the families there as well. And even uh, at some of these mega churches, you have scholars or people that are uh, very knowledgeable in the word that uh, work in a religious profession one way or the other that also are not involved in, at the church. Um, and so that is something that is commonly associated that uh, progressive churches should look to change where uh, instead of having a congregation of however many hundred thousand people uh, I'm saying hundred or thousand or hundred thousand people. Say <laughs> that's no one. Uh, just wherever the the size of the church is, um, how many of those members are actually sticking around more than five minutes to get to know somebody, or is it straight to uh, what's the fam the the favorite place for people to go eat after church these days? I don't know. It's not Luby's Cracker anymore. Barrel. Cracker Barrel, sure. You can still anyway, say Luby's. So, Luby's. Yeah, anyway, uh, so... I think we just lost all of our subscribers right there. That was it. <laughs> so how many people are actually making lasting relationships where I think one of the big struggles with not only progressive churches but also in conservative churches that you have people that don't necessarily have a community uh, at... Uh, at the congregation that they're a part of. 
and do people even know you at that congregation? And that is something where at a church, at, at what point can the eldership not keep up with the number of members? Do you just keep adding on elders uh, to cancel out that problem? Or wh what is the issue with people not being part of the community at the church? Because if you're not having your community within the congregation or the church itself, where are you making your community? Do you still uh, go out and socialize with the world and then just show up to church to check off the box or uh, to uh, repent of your sins, whatever it might be? Why are you actually going to church if that's not uh, what you're making yourself a part of? I, I totally agree with Stephen. I, I will say that where I've seen you know, growing churches do the best job of maintaining involvement of their ministers is when they have like, uh, you know, church plants or satellite congregations where you have the same responsibilities of a smaller church, but the resources of a larger church. Of course, we've talked about that in previous uh, podcasts, so go and listen to our archives. Um, I will offer I will offer up uh, the way I think that. Uh, progressive churches can look backwards, and and forgive me for generalizing a bit, but uh, I think that progressive churches tend to be newer congregations, or there is at least this this idea of youth in the air, and often it's these young people, these church planners, who, as Daniel said, rely on church history, but also rely on on the radicals that have come before us, you know, the, the people that were willing to risk it all to move halfway around the world to spread the gospel. Um, I think if we look at church history and, and we look at when churches have grown, even in recent history, it's when, when, when churches were radical. For example, churches of Christ would say, oh, the 1950s, we had such great growth numbers. Well, that's when we were radical to the rest of the culture. We were presenting a message that went countercultural that was pushing people uh, against their uh, their comfort zones it was pushing against what the culture was wanting them to do uh, so what was once progressive becomes conservative over time and so when a new when a new progressive church moves forward perhaps we should look to to retake that energy no matter what church we're a part of we want to see the energy that is at other places, which is why it's so important to have congregations that are a mix of young people and old people. You, know, you, you might have built up something great with, with what you've done before, but you need to continually bring in the youth, bring in their ideas to make sure that you're capturing that radical spirit. St Stephen, what are you thinking? I was going to say, you kind of see that going on in the realm of politics, where uh, some some conservative lines of thinking are starting to uh, pick up a trend. You know, stuff with Ben Shapiro and, uh, is it Peterson? Uh, Jordan Peterson? Jordan Peterson, yeah. Yeah. Th those are two that come to line where the, they're picking up a lot of steam as fo far as followers are concerned. But, you know, Young on people. the yeah. side, the, uh, maybe it's just that things are being polarized, which is a common theme in the political realm as well, because uh, the... Uh, left-wing side of things is also picking up a lot of steam um, for whatever movement uh, each week. It's a different one, so I, yeah, I can't keep up with them. Yeah. Guys, is this podcast going to drop before uh, November 7th, voting day? Yeah, it's this week. All right, listeners, go vote. <laughs>
whenever you have the opportunity. And if this dropped, if you listen to this like on November 8th, go vote next year. So, <laughs> all right, there we go. All right. I, I think that leaves us with one more category. I know we're, we're running a little long, but one more category. How can progressive churches look forward? What are some of the ways that progressive churches can continue to look forward in how they act and how they how they lead? Well, I think that progressive churches, uh, again, similar to what we saw with the conservative churches, what did you do well in the past and what can, in, how can you pull from that is you need to appeal and continue to appeal to the, the people that are needing to be ministered to. Um, however, not necessarily rely solely upon uh, giving somebody a religion of convenience, but find the things that you can take from convenience and uh, and put those to what is actually needed to minister and help someone uh, evolve spiritually, if you will. This may sound counter to the restoration plea, and I don't mean for it to, uh, and I don't really care to address that if it did, if it does sound that way, um, but I, I think if we if we look throughout the history of the church, so looking backward for a second, uh, we see that there are uh, these definite milestones that appear where the church has gotten better. Um, obvious examples is the church's uh, approach to. Um, economic things, like how it handles the, the poor um, and uh, the institution of slavery, things like that. And then there's more social issues, like um, with how um, it treats women and how it treats people of a uh, different skin color. Now, um, if we think that there's any sort of trend to be found there, uh, it should at least suggest to us that there are going to continue to be um, new thresholds, new horizons to reach in the future. Um, and we, as, the, as Christians, have led those movements in the past. Uh, we should hope that Christians will continue to lead in those movements. Um, and so uh, that, that's the one way that I, I hope that progressive churches will continue as they as they try to find the, the issues that are worth defending and those ones that where they act as a critique to the culture and they say, no, we, we don't think that change is good. We think that change is actually is hurting um, the world and God's creation. Uh, but they have to locate the good things and they have to head those up and to lead them so that we can reach those new horizons. And so I hope that progressive churches will continue to lead in that way. It's those progressive ideas th that really are winning the day when it comes to uh, justice. And I won't even call it social justice. It's just justice. Uh, but of course, those ideas are based in Amos. They're based in Malachi. Yeah. They're based in you know the the order that that God instituted. So while while it's this new energy, it's just going back to the way that things should have always been. Yeah. Um, what I'll say for uh, progressive churches looking forward is that pro progressive churches are really good at casting a vision. You know, uh, however their their organization is structured uh, as as either ministers are, are, are leading the way or their eldership is, is being 
uh, forthright and saying, here's where we want to go. Uh, as as y'all have already said, channeling that energy, making sure that they're thinking about what is next. You know, how can we how can we be prepared for how our city, uh, our community needs us to act? Um, I do think that those churches can can be best prepared for large scale action, as. Uh, the, the church shrinks and shrinks or even becomes a lower proportion of the overall population. It's those progressive churches that will garner the attention that uh, can only be done by an organized effort. Um, while within Churches of Christ, we, we tend to focus on congregational autonomy, I think it's going to be more and more important that uh, that we are progressive in the way that we look at church unity. And, and I'm talking about across churches, you know, from uh, whether it's different congregations within your area or Christendom as a whole, how can we have a unified message in what we're presenting to the world? So, Well, perhaps a concluding remark for today's podcast is both progressive and conservative churches can look forward in good ways and they can look backwards in good ways. They can find ways to improve their congregation to serve God's kingdom and the community around them. For all of us, it shouldn't depend so much on the labels that we have, but on our intent in following God's will. That's all the time we have for this week's podcast. If you're listening to us around the time that we released, we invite you to go to the Religion and Story website and participate in our best songs, hymns, and spiritual songs bracket. Uh, When we're recording this, we're already at the round of 32, so we would love to have your vote and tell us what you think about what the best songs are. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.